Hello, and welcome to Case Files in Neurology, where we share the stories that our patients tell us and the lessons that they teach us. Our host is Dr. Danish Body, a movement disorders neurologist at the University of Nebraska Medical Center. He is also the director of our international neurology program. You will hear some amazing stories of courage, mystery, wisdom, and hope from faculty in our department on cases that have stood out so much that they can still recall it. Welcome to the Art of Medicine. Welcome, John, to another episode of Movement is Our Podcast, where you share the stories that the patients have taught you with us. Uh, what story would you like to share with our listeners today? Well, I think we can call this one uh, paying attention to details. Paying attention to details. That's interesting. So tell us a background of the story. Uh, where were you when this episode happened and what setting and what was going on around that time? Every so often, we have to renew our skills in CPR. And there's basic CPR, and now we call it life support. So it was my turn. I was at the VA. I figured it'd be easy at the VA because there's not a big line over there. And So VA is a Veterans Administration Hospital. Right. And the CPR will be the cardiopulmonary resuscitation or basic life support? Yes. And where and were you in your career? This was so... Uh, Five years ago, maybe a little longer. You're a full professor and uh, chair of the department. This was actually, it was while I was over here at UNMC. Okay. So let's say seven years, five to seven years ago. I know because I recently had come back from a trip to Africa, so I'd have to, but anyway, let's say five years ago. Okay. So there was a written test, and back then it wasn't online. So I had something to fill out, or I had completed that, so I came in for the practical, and there was a lady, maybe late 30s, overweight, uh, happened to be black, very nice, and I explained to her I just passed the written exam, and she stood up and walked over to get the dummy or the mannequin, it was just the upper half, so from the waist up, whatever, Resusciani or I don't know what the guy's name, Resussi Andrew. So a mannequin to practice on the physical skills of chest compression. Right, and and then breathing, yep. So, and then you have to make sure that you're putting enough air in, the chest has to be elevated and there can't be air leakage and all that. So, but I was noticing standing up was slow and for walk, her, for, her it, for somebody in her 30s, mm. okay, I'm thinking, I can't ever stop being a doctor. I go <laughs> out nurse. with my wife, and we're walking down the street, and I say, this guy has a foot drop. See, notice how, <laughs> or, you know, where he has a gluteus medius weakness. You can see the way he walks, and you know, she tries to get me to relax and just be a regular person, but I can't help it. So I noticed this. And then I noticed that she went and picked up the mannequin and put it on the table between us, and then she was short of breath. So I passed this course, but before I did so, I just said, you're short of breath. And she said, yeah, I've been short of breath for a few weeks now. And she had in her hand 
a plastic cup like the one on your desk, and I looked and it had ice in it. Mm. So I said, how long have you been eating ice? So again, you can see the gears turning in my head. Uh-huh. And now I'm the doctor again, and she's evaluating me, but nobody's asked her these questions. So she's your trainer for the day, an evaluator. Mm-hmm. So then the question is, um, how long have you been chewing ice? She says, only for the past couple weeks. So then the question is, if there's anybody out in airwave land who's listening in, what's the next question to ask? I can see where I'm going with this because she shouldn't be so short of breath. And eating ice? And eating ice. And, okay, ice is a non dietary thing to be chewing people do it it's called pica p-i-c-a eating a non-food item Mm. and people will chew on clay in the ground or Mm. chew on almost anything pencils anything but chewing on the on the clay we attribute it to an iron deficiency an evolutionary response in humans to eat Maybe clay, which may be rich in iron. It might have in iron Africa in it. Or something. Right. Yes. Those orange mud. Sure. Uh, that you uh, see. But there is, and I think the fact that you're eating, there's, I think there is an evolutionary advantage that we have when we get iron deficient. We start eating non-food items, and ice isn't going to do anything for you. Right. But people will put almost anything in their mouth. Uh, one of my colleagues where I worked before said there was a woman who used to reach up and break off a little drywall <laughs> and then bring a piece of it and start chewing it. And <laughs> is the paint? Is the painting? No, no, it's actually it's it's uh, behind the paint. It's the, oh, it's like three-eighths inch or half inch, you know. Is there in some metal it's, in it's, the No, it's, I think or? it's made out of gypsum, gypsum. or mm. something. It's a earthy substance. Anyway, Some people chew on nails. Some people actually will put nails into an apple and let it rust and then eat the apple, Um, Mm. which does have iron in it, obviously. But I don't know if that's a remedy or something that they've learned to do. So then I... So the next question... There are many other questions that you can ask at this point. So I just went right straight toward the jugular here and said... Have you ever had any anemias? And she said, oh, yeah. When I had my, right after my first child or whatever, I had to take iron supplements. Mm. And I said, well, how did they manage that? And so it took a while, but she eventually got over that. And then she had uh, nothing major recently that she could think of. But she was very short of breath, and she said she wasn't feeling right, and she didn't have a lot of money. So I said, can I see your hand? Is it because she works for VA? (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I don't think the VA is paying her a lot. The VA doesn't pay one of their own employees to do this, so she's probably not getting benefits. And I don't know whether she had health insurance. So I looked at her hand, and as you know, the creases in your palm uh-huh. are a giveaway because if you don't have pigment there you're probably six grams of hemoglobin or less wow. I don't know what the mm. cutoff was and I said 
you are seriously anemic. Mm. And I said, you have to go see somebody. So then, what's the next idea that comes into your head? I'm at a hospital, right? Yeah. So the next question at the VA hospital is, are you a veteran? No, she's never served in the military. Yeah. You know, she's never had to and never did. So then what do you do? Just say, well, you ought to go get this taken care of. That's where most people will stop. They say, yeah. go see your regular doctor. Mm-hmm. Or I don't think go she to an emergency. You think she's that bad? She needs to go to an emergency to have blood check? Well, here it was, it was, a, it was bad enough that I said, okay, I know somebody that I met on a trip to Africa. Just a short while before this happened? Just a short while, maybe a month, uh, maybe six months to a year. Anyway, so I'm not going to name his name. He had a private practice. Mm -hmm. And was known for getting right to the point. He actually was a football player for Stanford University years and years ago behind a very famous quarterback. He was second string and hardly ever got to play. But he was an athlete at one time. You wouldn't know it. You know, as people get older, you can't tell who the athlete was. So I just called him up right then. And I said, let's call him Jack. Jack, this is John. You remember me? And he said, oh, yeah, yeah. So I said, I got a patient for you. Can you see her today? Mm. And he said, sure, what's the story? And I explained, and he knew exactly what I was worried about. Mm. And I said, okay, give me your phone number and your address, and he handed the phone to his assistant. He went back to seeing 20 patients an hour or whatever he was doing. So then I said, here's the phone number, here's the address, you know, and I gave her the card like one of these. And then I did the test and passed it. And that was, I don't, they might have had a child mannequin there too, but nowadays it's really way into details that are getting beyond. But anyway, now there are mannequins that will tell you you're not blowing fast enough that you can work on. And I think that's not a bad thing. Am I talking too loud? So, whatever happened to that lady? I didn't hear. So, weeks went by, and I asked whatever, who was that person? And people didn't. She was a hired gun to come in. Like and a temp or an advisor? Something or like that. Yeah. yeah, so something, there was some sort of a deal with, I don't know. Contracted or something? A contracted employee, mm-hmm. yep. I see. So then I got a call out of the blue one night, one evening. And she said, she gave me her name. I didn't remember her name. She said, do you remember me? And I said, well... She traced your number? She called me back. Mm. And I said, wow, this, I was wondering what happened. Oh. And she said, thank you. I think you saved my life. Wow. And I said, what? She said, he admitted me. Her hemoglobin was so low, she had to get a transfusion oh. that <laughs> night. You know? So I'm thinking, well, you know how it is. If you gradually get more and more anemic, mm. you learn to adapt to it. But if you go from 
you know, a normal hemoglobin to where she was, you know, you wouldn't be able to handle it right away. So she was very grateful, and I said, well, they ever figure out why you lost blood, and they had done a workup and figured that out, nothing majorly. And I said, well, I do appreciate the feedback. I just kind of wondered. I, I have two questions in my mind. Okay. The first is that um, what drives you? <clears throat> you were there to have your own CPR evaluation done. You're preoccupied. I know how upset I get when I have to take it every year, and I just want to be done with it. I actually don't want to even do it and just get a certificate. And, uh, you know, I think I should already know all of this, having done it for so long. And so you're preoccupied. You're going there out of your schedule. You have 10 things to do later on. And I'm in a hurry. Right. You still are observing all of it and following up on it and, and, and taking it up hmm. and, and asking, um, being the good Samaritan that nobody wants to be even in a traffic accident anymore. And then second question is that, why do you still remember this? Why do you think it was such an important episode? It's not even your patient, but you want to bring it up and share it with our listeners. I don't know the quick answer to that other than uh, it just seemed like a good idea at the time. I guess I like questions to solve. Mm. I like to do Sudoku puzzles. I'm like, I like to figure out, you know, analyze things and come up with an answer, especially when it comes to medicine, especially when it comes to neurology, because if you're observant, you can learn what to ask. Otherwise, somebody comes in or you see something on a test. This is the patient. He's so this is his age, this was his occupation, mm -hmm. he's complaining of a sore leg. Boy, if he's in front of you, you notice things. You notice lateral eyebrow hair. If that's missing, it could be a thyroid problem. Mm. All these things that, you know, the character Sherlock Holmes, it was written and made up by a doctor. Mm. And there was a Sir Charles Bell that was a great diagnostician. He could find little things that were different. For example, he could tell by where there wasn't a tan on a guy's forehead that he must have just gotten back from being in the British Army in India. And he knew he was an enlisted man because they wore their hats a certain way in let's say the right or the left corner of the forehead was not exposed to sun hmm. he noticed and he said you're just back from India aren't you now this is Sir Charles Bell, Sir Charles Bell and he hmm. was so impressed with this man's ability to take little clues and figure things out that he just invented this character Sherlock Holmes who was he impressed with a Dr. Charles Bell, who was... So Arthur was also a physician? Sir, Arthur, a Conan Doyle, or, yeah. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was a medical student. I see. I can't remember if it was Edinburgh or some other English school. And so we're all that way. You know, when you see somebody, you get a video from Pakistan. You're looking for things. You, you see some things that are not right. 
and you start mm -hmm. looking for other things and then you notice there is ataxia and there is a dystonia too or there's a little head tilt and all of a sudden you're going down a path and you're collecting false positives, you know, true positives, true negatives that are really meaningful. Mm. That's what we do for a living and I just find it uh, beyond that, the intellectual challenges, I think if you can give someone back their health, then you can say you're cured, go on back to your own life and I hope you find meaning in your life. Mm. But I've at least let you go struggle with the big questions what is my, I don't know, best calling that I can follow or what should I do with my life? How do I make it worthwhile? That's your problem. Those are bigger questions. I'm just letting you have the freedom. So why bring this up? Why bring it up now? Yeah. Because I think there's an important lesson for all of us in that if someone is there in front of you or a patient is there seeing you for a headache, and you don't notice the atrophy in one arm, mm. and you don't notice that there's a lack of reflexes in the right arm, and there's something wrong with the cervical spine, and that's the cause of the headaches that are posterior and not migraine-like. If you can't put all that together by looking at things, then you're gonna run up a big bill mm. thinking of all the possibilities when you could zero in and figure it out and send them for a CT scan of the or an MRI scan of the neck and solve the problem and if something's needed you know you can send them to the appropriate specialist I don't know I just think that if we don't keep our minds open to possibilities and realize there could be more than one thing one I really appreciate is I think to give quality of care mm -hmm. you've got to see past the obvious You've got to say, okay, they're elderly, they don't have a sense of smell, they have Parkinson's, um, they're feeble because they're not active, then are they, new, are they getting all the nutrition they should? Or do they have enough protein? Do they have enough iron? Do they have bone density that's adequate? Uh, can I encourage them to be more active? And, you know, like for this Parkinson's disease symposium, just saw a lady that's had Parkinson's for 27 years. Mm -hmm. And Erin, one of our residents really interested in movement disorders, is with me. And I said, Erin, this is one of those people that actually did what I asked her to do. She has a personal trainer. She has to take 15 Cinemet pills a day. She's got dyskinesias. She's early onset, so she has dyskinesias. She's probably near 60 but she looks normal 60 to 70% of the time. Functions normally, uh, takes really good care of herself, is thin and very strong. So that, I just enjoy that. When Thank you for listening to our podcast. You can find the show notes and related links on our blog page at the University of Nebraska Medical Center Department of Neurological Sciences website. You can also follow us on Twitter at UNMC underscore neurology and find all of the previous episodes on iTunes. Until next time with another patient story. Mm -hmm.